Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 15 through 23 this morning. And then after the study this morning, Pastor Tony will come up and lead us in communion. The title this morning is The Believer's Resources. The Believer's Resources. If you remember the Sunday before last, our first, as we begun this, began the study here in Ephesians, the title was Your Calling. So it was about your calling and how God called you, why He called you. And this morning it's the believer's resources to fulfill your calling. As I said, the Sunday before last, we learned that each one of you, which again makes up the church, you're here to bring about a revolution. That is a spiritual transformation. And God has a plan or divine program to bring it about. And each one of you have been called to carry it out. So we're going to give a, a, kind of a, a long in, uh, introduction before we get to the verses that we're going to look at this morning. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 describe what you are to be and what you are to do. In chapter 1, Paul clearly tells us about the purpose of the church. Not just in eternity, but here and right now, today, this morning. Your purpose is to, number one, reflect God's holiness. Verse 4. Secondly, your purpose is to reveal God's glory. Verse 5. And third, your purpose is to be a witness to Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 The Holy Spirit lives in you so that you can demonstrate the life and the character of the one who lives in you. And the responsibility to fulfill your calling belongs to each one of you. Each one of you. So as the message goes forth, take it to be specifically to you. That's Paul's message to the whole letter to the Ephesians. The responsibility to fulfill your calling. And he carefully explains what true Christian character is, like, you know, what it's like, so that there's no mistake. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul said this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you or beg you, plead with you, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering and bearing with one another. Those are the four graces of unity. He said, and then endeavoring, which means to spare no effort, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do all that you can, is what the word endeavoring means, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You are to be lowly, meek, patient, forbearing in love, and to do whatever it takes to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The church is not to go out and order society to change. Instead, you are to demonstrate positive social change by turning away from evil and practicing righteousness in your life. And when you do this, this truth will take hold in society, and in due time, it will bring about the changes that are needed. 
For example, in Luke chapter 3 and verses 10 through 14, after John the Baptist had preached the gospel, the people began to ask John the Baptist, well, what shall we do? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do the same. And then tax collectors came up to them, up to, up to John the Baptist, after they got baptized. And they said to him, what, what do we do? Teacher, what shall we do? And John the Baptist said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Then the soldiers came up to John the Baptist and asked him, and what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Notice you see that Jesus changed society by transforming the individual. In the book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, the historian Edward Gibbons says that the fall of Rome wasn't due to invading armies, but disintegrated from the inside. And I see that happening to the United States of America. We are disintegrating from the inside. There's no inv invading army right now that is, that is doing to this country what we're doing to ourselves. You know, removing the boundaries that God set for men and women, for families, for government. The historian said, while Rome was being taken over by open violence and slow decay, that's when Christianity gently came in and grew in the minds of the people. So it was the Christian faith. All right, Christian faith didn't triumph over the Roman Empire because the early Christians weakened and destabilized the Roman government with their plots and secret plans. They didn't brainwash the people with all kinds of propaganda and clever ways of witnessing to people. The Christian church didn't attack Rome with more technical and more powerful weapons or a bigger, better uh, bigger and better trained army and then taking over Rome by power and force. The early Christians had only one plan, one message, one weapon, one power they could use to overpower the Roman Empire. And that was love. Love. The love of Christ. It was Christ-like love that brought down the Roman Empire and the symbol of the cross was raised over the ruins of Rome. Love was a powerful force that couldn't be stopped in the first century. And you know what? It is still just as powerful and unstoppable today. The greatest proof that Jesus Christ is living in you and me, the Christian, is love. It's a love that accepts others just the way they are. Now, that doesn't mean we accept their sin. Understand that. We accept them for who they are because Jesus Christ created them. But he came to save them from their sin, not in their sin. It's a love that's tender-hearted and forgiving. Love that wants to heal misunderstanding, wants to heal divisions, disappointments, and broken relationships. It's love that covers a multitude of sins. In other words, it overwhelms sins. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, that is love, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That love is never, never demonstrated by rivalry, greed, 
bad behavior, coldness, or prejudice. Love is the total opposite of name-calling, gossiping, backbiting, stubbornness, unforgiveness, division, grudge-holding, bitterness. Christ-like love is the unifying power that brings people together. And we are not a people that's together today. And enables the church to carry out its purpose in the world. Acts 2.44 says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now how do we produce God's holiness? By our love. How do we reveal God's glory? By our love. How do we witness that Jesus Christ is real? By our love. The New Testament doesn't have a lot to say about Christians getting involved in politics or defending family values or marching for peace and justice or opposing pornography or defending the rights of some oppressed group. Now, it's not that we shouldn't be concerned about these things. You can't have a love for people and not be concerned about these things. But the New Testament does not say much about these things because God knows the only way to solve these problems and to heal broken relationships is by introducing a totally new kind of power into a human life. The resurrection power of the life of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 3, 7 through 10. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the, things of all, uh, the, suffered the loss of all things, and count them, that is, those things, as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, here it is, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The life of Christ is what people really need. What happens when you walk into a dark room and you turn on the light switch? You get rid of the dark. God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You will wipe out this world's evils when you bring in love. You'll wipe out moral sickness and corruption when you bring in life. You see, we have to start with introducing people to Jesus because that's the purpose you were called for. That's the purpose for us being here, for being saved, to tell people about Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is in your heart, there won't be any hatred. There won't be any bitterness, any bigotry, grudges, gossip, backbiting, divisions, unforgiveness, stubbornness. Because these sins cannot live in the same heart where Jesus Christ dwells. The early church didn't see itself called to fight for for all the wrongs. Understand that. The early church did not see itself called to fight all the wrongs in the world and trying to make them right. The early church saw that its job was to reflect God's holiness and to show God's glory and to witness about Jesus. And they did it by showing uncompromising and unfailing love to those in the church and those outside the church. 
Now, if you try to find Scripture to prove you should pick it and protest and march and boycott and do other kinds of carnal warfare, you won't find it there. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. I want to read it from the New Living Translation. We are human, but we don't wage human war like humans do. We don't wage war like humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. You see, Jesus called this washing the outside of the cup. Fighting a carnal warfare. A true Christian revolution changes people from the inside out. It cleanses the inside of the cup. You see, this is where the churches get off the beaten path. And they get caught up in all kinds of good things. But leave the gospel behind. They become so preoccupied with politics. Jesus came to transform society, to transform people's hearts, but not through politics, but a changed life. And there are a lot of churches where they preach and teach nothing but politics. Jesus' plan was to change society by transforming the individual people in that society. By giving them a new heart, a new spirit, a new direction, a new birth, a resurrection life, and death to self and to selfishness. Once you transform the people, you will have a new society. Listen to what God said to Ezekiel in Ezekiel eleven nineteen through 20. God says, then I will give them one heart and will put a new spirit within them. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. Notice that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. Do them. That's the key. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Paul said in Romans 12 too, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how does that renewing of the mind come? Through the reading of the word of God. When we're changed from the inside, when the inside of the cup is cleansed, our whole point of view about human relationships change. Our natural way of dealing with differences, offenses, and mistreatments is to respond by getting even. See, that comes natural. I want to get even. I'll show you. But Jesus said we're to respond in a new and unnatural way. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Paul said in Romans 12, 17 through 18, Repay no one evil for evil. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, we know that some, some people won't live peaceably with us no matter what. But Paul said, you, as much as lies in you, as much as depends upon you, you live peaceably with all men because you are a believer. If they don't want to uh, live peaceably with you, that's their problem and they'll have to deal with God. But we have the ability to do that, to live peaceably with all men. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law and nothing, nothing 
causes them to stumble. Great peace have those who love your word. If you love the word of God and it's, it's the delight of your heart, nothing can cause you to stumble. Nothing. Your joy and your peace in the Lord is not dependent on other people's attitudes towards you. Isaiah said in Isaiah 26, 3, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You see, the message that God gave you and made you responsible for is the most radical message that the world has ever heard. That's why they crucified Christ, and that's why they're crucifying, uh, figuratively speaking, Christianity and, and Christians today. It's too radical for them. Now, should you just forget God's message because it's too radical and, 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 and you receive all of this, this hatred and, and persecution behind it? Lightweight compared to what the New Testament Christians experience. Should you just forget God's message and, and, and give something that's more palatable? You know, just get involved in simple politics and social action and marching in the streets? Should you be happy just letting the church become another worldly political or social gathering? Do you believe God enough to agree with him that's, that it's Christ-like love lived out in the koinonia unity of his church, that is the, the, the blessed fellowship of unity in his, of his church that will change the world? Do you believe that and not political power or social action? God has called each one of you to become responsible to spread the revolutionary, life-transforming good news of Jesus Christ throughout society. We have to get into the workplace, places of business, the school system at all levels, the family, the government, social institutions. We have to get into all those things, all those places with the greatest transforming message in the world. Our Jesus came here to implant in you and me his own eternal life. And he's ready and he's able to change you into loving, compassionate, confident people and to empower you to handle any problem, any challenge that life brings your way. See, that's what our messed up world needs today. That's our message to this worn out, beat up, fearful, sad, depraved, and immoral world today. That's the message of love and hope that we need to bring to an unfriendly and, un and hopeless world. Even in the simplest things. In, in a couple of weeks ago, I was, went to Office Depot and there was these two guys, and they were out there for, you know, um, saving puppies, basically, you know, for the SPCA. And I, don't get me wrong, I, I love animals. <laughs> but right on it, it says, the voice of the unheard. And I went to the store, and, I was, and they said, oh, hey, are you here to save some puppies? I go, no, and, and I told them what my business was. And, my credit card didn't work. I had to go to the bank, get it changed, get all that. And I came back. Oh, you're back for a second time. You thought about it. I got in my car, and I was just, I was irked. The voice of the unheard. And it reminded me of Proverbs 31.8. 
Open your mouth for the speechless in the case of all who are appointed to die. And I thought of the boarded children in this country. And I went up there, and I said, hey, can I, can I share something with you? And I said, let me read something to you. And I read the scripture, open your mouth for the speechless in the case of all who are appointed to die. I go, you know, think about this. You're the voice of the unheard for the, for the animals, and, and that's cool. But what about the, the, the babies that are unborn and nobody's speaking up for them? I said, I, I want you to think about while you're standing here. And they got real quiet, and they said, one guy said, that's fair enough. And I just, and I walked. But, you know, even in the simplest things, I don't know what that did, but I know what God just, I, I just, I had to say something. Because that, that verse just yelled at me. Okay, speak up for, the uns, for, for those who can't speak. But even in the simplest way, that's our message to this worn out, worn out messed up world. It, it needs the gospel. We exist only to reflect God's holiness. We, 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 we exist to reveal God's glory and to witness to the fact that Jesus has come to cleanse men and women inside and out. And we live to love one another and to show Christ-like love to the world. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. That's our calling. Christianity is not a teaching. It's not a set of rules to live by, do's and don'ts. Christianity is a person. It's not just a moral attitude that you and I are to follow. The Lord Jesus was the subject of the preaching of the early church. And he should be the subject of the preaching from every pulpit. This is the the sad thing, though, that's been forgotten today. People say what we need today, what we need to apply today is to his teaching. We need to apply his teaching to today. But it's not. What you need to know is him. What you need is to know him and to come into a relationship with him. You don't start with his teaching, you start with him. Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, when Philip was raptured over to or taken over to the, the Ethiopian eunuch who was trying to figure out the scriptures. It, it, it says in Acts 8, 35, it says, Then Philip, I'm sorry, it, it, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, and he was reading to him from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. But it says that, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture and preached Jesus to him. Notice, he didn't go anywhere else. He opened the Bible and preached Jesus to him. This is the message. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. And our Lord Jesus himself said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, You shall be witnesses to me. And when you read Acts, you will see that our Lord's disciples always preached Jesus and the resurrection. They didn't teach methods. They went to people and told them about this person, Jesus. This was all there was to their teaching. You never find them starting with politics or social problems. They said, listen, we have something to tell you about a person whose name is Jesus. Now let's begin 
in verses 15 and 16. Paul says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in your prayers. The Ephesian church was well known for its faith and its love. Love wasn't just a motto. It wasn't just a bumper sticker. Although they didn't have bumpers, but for their chariots, whatever. (laughs) But you get my drift. Today, they're a bumper sticker. But love wasn't a motto, not a bumper sticker. It wasn't a song for these Christians. There was real love shown by these Christians, and it was based on their faith in Jesus Christ. This was the church at its best. Now, if you grew up in the 60s, you knew that, that was... It, it, they had the right idea, because it was all about love. You know, it, you know but they were fi- trying to find it in all the wrong places. Beatles, all you need is love. I think it was Dusty Springfield. What the world needs now is love. Make love, not war. Of course, the wrong... Yeah, wasn't a good one, but... Love was, this, love was the word, okay? Love was the word. Love wasn't found by going to San Francisco or putting a flower in your hair. It wasn't found in taking LSD, smoking pot, and going to love-ins. It was in a person. And it still is in a person, Jesus Christ. Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, To everyone who thirsts, come to the, pers- come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, God said, and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Unhappiness is caused by looking in all the wrong places and in things that never really satisfy. Because of the Ephesians' love and faith, Paul thanks God for them here in verses 15 and 16. Usually it seems that the things that cause us to pray are what? Trouble, sickness, distress, some kind of crisis. And it's sad that, the, that, that it's the negative things that always seem to get us to pray. But Paul here was often encouraged to pray because of good things. When you, hear something, uh, about a, uh, when you hear something good about a Christian, does it cause you to say, oh, Lord, thank you for this brother or sister and the way you're using them? Or when you hear of a good church where God is blessing the church and the people and the word of God is going out, does it cause you to pray and say, thank you, Lord, for the work being done there? Paul says when he heard the good news and the wonderful reports about the Ephesian church, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Now, there's two prayers in in, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This is one of them. Praying for the church, which he said is the body of Christ. The other prayer is at the end of chapter 3. And these two prayers in this letter show us Paul's concern as a Christian for other believers. One of the ways you can find out whether or not a person is a child of God is by their prayer life. How much time do they spend in prayer? Do they, do they feel a dependence upon God? Or do they depend upon the arm of the flesh? If he has a need or she has a need, do they go to God in prayer for himself? And do they go to God to pray for others? Remember when Ananias uh, 
in Damascus was worried when the angel told him, hey, go to Saul of Tarsus. Now, he had known about Saul's reputation, about killing Christians and rounding them up and putting them in prison. He said, hey, I don't know about this guy, Saul, you know, talking back to the angel. Now, he was a pretty tough guy. He was the one who was persecuting the church. But the angel said to Ananias, look, he's praying. Look, he's praying. That was supposed to be a sign to Ananias that something had happened to Saul. And prayer is a sign of conversion. Paul says here, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul first gave thanks to God for the Ephesians. They were on his prayer list and probably all the other churches were too. And then he says, I make mention of you in my prayers. This means he called them all by name. I make mention of you. Pray for people by name when you pray for them. And we've seen that the reason, uh, we've seen that the reason for Paul's prayer was good news. Now we're going to see that he doesn't pray for material things, but for spiritual blessings, because these are the blessings that are most important. Look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. After Paul had written that the church is the body of Christ, and that, the, and that God the Father planned it, and that God the Son Uh, paid for it and God the Holy Spirit protects it he recognized that the Ephesians wouldn't be able to understand uh, all of this unless the Holy Spirit was there to teach them unless the Holy Spirit opened the word of God to them only the Holy Spirit could reveal the knowledge of God verse 18 The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? It's not the eyes of your mind that need to be opened. It's the eyes of your heart that has to understand. Because a person can be very intelligent, but that doesn't guarantee they're going to understand spiritual truth. Scripture puts more emphasis on the understanding of the heart than the head. He says here in verse 18 that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We've learned that we have an inheritance in the Lord. We're told here that he has an inheritance in us. That is you and I as believers are his church. We're his church and God works through us. But the time is coming when we will rule and reign with him and he will claim us as his inheritance. So this is why you need the Holy Spirit. Because all of this, hey, it's too deep for us to understand. We need the Holy Spirit to make this real to us. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Paul continues his prayer here. In other words, what is the exceeding greatness of his power? The word exceeding there means intense. What is the, great, what is the exceeding greatness of his power? The word power there is dunamis. That's where we get our word dynamite. So let's look at it like this. Paul continues his, okay, what is the exceeding, or what is the intense greatness of his dunamis, his dynamite power towards us who believe according to the working, the word working is energian, the Greek word where we get our word, the energizing of his mighty power. So again, what is the intense dunamis 
power toward us who believe according to the energizing of his mighty power. I mean, how great is that dynamite power? How great is that energizing strength? Verse 20. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. It's the same resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a miraculous power. Not only is it resurrection power, but it's the power that raised Jesus at the ascension and sent sent him at God's right hand. That's ascension power. This is the power that's available to you today. And that's why Paul prays that you may know the greatness of the power that is in Christ. That I may know him, he said, and the power of his resurrection. Let's close with verses 21 through 23. I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. Jesus is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else in this world or in the world to come. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ and, in, and he gave him this authority for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's filled by Christ who fulfills everything everywhere with his presence. After being raised from the dead, Jesus is now the head of the church. He's the ultimate authority over the world. Jesus is the Messiah, God's anointed one, the one that Israel longed for, the one who would fix their broken world. As Christians, we can be confident that God has won the final victory and he's in control of everything. You don't have to fear any dictator, any president, any nation, death, or Satan. The contract has been signed, it's been sealed, and now we're just waiting to be delivered. The word fullness in verse 22 refers to Christ filling the church with gifts and blessings. And he's filled us to the max. The church should be the full expression of Jesus Christ. We should be everything that Jesus is, the complete image of Jesus Christ, who himself fills everything. Christ is the head. And you and I are a part of the body of his church. The image of the body shows the church's unity. This body is a unit and it works in unity. If it doesn't, there's something wrong. Each one of you is involved with all the others as they go about doing Christ's work on earth. We work together for the same cause, to get the message of Christ out. You shouldn't try to work, serve, or worship just on your own. We need each other, the entire body. It's like my head tells me I need to put on my shoes. So my head tells my legs to walk over to the closet and to get the shoes. And then the head tells me to get my hands to pick them up and then put them on my feet and to tie them. They work together as a unit. Through love, Paul said to serve one another. Service is exciting if you love the Lord. Psalm 100 verse 1 says, shout with, the, shout with joy to the Lord. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Notice the words joy and gladness. Shout with joy to the Lord. Worship the Lord with gladness. And come before him 
singing with joy, not whining and complaining. Father, we thank you so much for this great passage, Lord, this powerful word, Lord. Father, Paul basically said, it's all about Jesus. All about Jesus, nothing else. Father, may that be what our mindset is. It's all about Jesus. One word, Jesus. And Father, I pray this morning for those that might be here, Lord, that, Father, that they would examine themselves before taking communion to see that they are in the right place with you, in the right relationship with you. And that, Father, if not, they would make it right. Those that may have become lukewarm, Father, or just basically kind of doing their own thing and Jesus is more than Jesus is is just a convenience more than a necessity and Father I pray for those this morning that might be here that don't know Jesus Christ Father I pray your word has spoken to them through the spirit as we pray before communion as we're praying is anyone here this morning that doesn't know Christ that wants to accept Jesus Christ raise up your hand Raise up your hand. Anybody. Don't be fearful. Don't be embarrassed. The most important decision you could ever make. Anybody at all. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray now that you would bless this time as Pastor Tony comes up and leads us in communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.